This is WFHB's Looming Out, your weekly update on issues in the LGBTQIA community with your hosts, Melanie, Ireland, and Justin. Are you so Blooming Out is produced by Ireland Meacham and Melanie Davis with executive producer Kyria Greenberg. Tune in every Thursday night at 6 p.m. to hear the discussion from local LGBTQIA voices. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Melanie Davis. I'm Ireland Meacham. And I'm Lucas Fisher. Before we get to our show, let's catch up with the Blooming Out crew. Ireland, how was your show? Ah, I'm stressed and busy all the time. I just, I feel like I'm, oh, was that <laughs> too loud? <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, just screamed in the microphone, but yeah, that's how I'm feeling, screaming yeah. into the microphone. How are you feeling, Melanie? Oh, with the news, I'm just about the same. Yeah. I'm smiling now, and that makes my voice sound brighter, mm-hmm. um, but really, I'm screaming inside. Yeah. What about you, Lucas? Lucas? Yeah, about the same. It's all all the same here, uh, especially with the news that yeah. Melanie brought today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, great um, conversation pieces, but not very great news. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I- <laughs> let's dig into it. Yeah. Without oh. further ado, let's just do it. Island, what have you for us first? Well, I have kind of an interesting one. Um, so, so Democratic presidential candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg, which who we have talked about before a lot uh, on the show of South Bend, Indiana, said on Sunday that he does not support punishing churches or other religious worship centers for being opposed to the LGBTQ community, which is odd. I feel like interesting. Um, Buttigieg, who is gay and married to a man, made the remark during an interview with CNN State of the Union after he was asked for his perspective on fellow Democratic presidential hopeful Beto O'Rourke's assertion that he would revoke the tax-exempt status of churches and other religious institutions opposed to same-sex marriage. The South Bend mayor said that he disagreed with the former congressman from Texas. He said, quote, the idea that you're going to strip churches of their tax exempt status if they haven't found their way towards blessing same sex marriage. I'm not sure Beto O'Rourke understood the implications of what he was saying. Um, Buttigieg also pointed out that such a regu- regulation would uh, necessarily imp- apply to other uh, religions besides Christianity, such as Islam. He said, quote, that means going to war with not only churches, but I would think with mosques and a lot of organizations that may not have the same view of various religious principles that I do. Um, the mayor is a member of the Episcopal Church and has spoken frequently about his Christian faith. Um, and he also pointed to pointed to the principle of separation of church and state laid out in the Constitution, arguing that this should be preserved. Um. Yeah. So a lot of quotes. Well, I mean, that's a that's a big issue right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, what do we think about this? This is just. I don't know. So I understand his protectionism of of his faith, mm-hmm. right? And um, and and that is something that's coming up more and more often, and it's it's imposing itself into our lives. Mm-hmm. So we are uh, being forced. <laughs> Strangely enough, this is their argument too. We're being forced to accept that they can, uh, and and this is going to come up in an, an another uh, article up here. But 
they can promote anti-LGBT policies. They can and have and have and are. Uh, they can spread uh, lies and disinformation that you know we are dangerous mm-hmm. and we are pe- uh, uh, predators and pedophiles and all of these negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and and also they can support organizations that go to Congress and lobby against our basic rights. Yeah. And so where is the line between church and state, right? Mm-hmm. So he's talking about preserving that that break. However, the push for by the um religious rights uh and the um the, since the 70s, right? The moral majority, mm-hmm. all of these groups which are kind of just spin-offs of the same movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, have been arced toward taking away basically our our citizenship. Yeah. You know, our ability to participate fully as citizens in this country. So <laughs> it's it's the line has already been broken, mm-hmm. right? And where are we going to go with that? So I'm not a Beto fan. Um uh, he's in, he's got his problems, but uh, and in this, I don't think all churches necessarily, mosques or or temples or any group uh, should have necessarily their uh, tax exempt. Um, I don't know status taken away. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a sketchy thing. I don't think they should have it taken away just immediately. They, right. they, there should be a process that. to yeah. review how uh, they are moving through mm-hmm. the political realm. Mm-hmm. And if they are exerting political pressure, well, then they're participating politically. And right. they absolutely should have their their status taken away. I agree with um, that. But it shouldn't be like across the board. It shouldn't be this just knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, these communities of faith do good work, too. Some of them do. Um, some of them are accepting. And it's and it's not just about marriage. And I hate that everything for the past 20 years has been mm-hmm. focused on, you know, this marriage, marriage issue. Yeah. Because it's about all of these rights. Even the marriage uh, thing was more expansive than that. It mm-hmm. wasn't just about the right to get married. It was all of the 1,400 rights that come along with that. Right, exactly. So And why shouldn't everyone have those rights? You know? They're across the board. They're yeah. human rights, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, unless of course Pompeo's little group decides that they aren't human rights. Oof. So so all That's of this is coming discussion. to a head, right? Yeah. All of these things are knitting together into one ugly, nasty sock and or sweater. And and I I just am seeing kind of what uh all of this has been building up to for the past well since i was little mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and now recently with the way that rights are being rolled back this is ever more important yeah mm-hmm. like it's not a good time to be saying something like that really in yeah. the, in the wake of uh the religious freedom uh like right the evidence of the uh, basically religions 
taking control of government. Yeah. (laughs) And at least, well, influencing it. Right. It just makes me think that maybe he's trying to pander to that audience as well. You know, not to like say that, but like. It feels like pandering. It does feel like (laughs) pandering. That's part of his base, though. Right. Right. So he's appealing to people who are more centrist. He's appealing to people in the Midwest Mm -hmm. who are more religious than people on the coasts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, totally pandering, but also genuine. I feel it's genuine from his heart Mm -hmm. that this is what he feels. Yeah. Um, And well, and it just seems like a statement that is, it's just a little general in the sense that uh, like, yeah, we religious groups should have the freedom to express themselves Mm -hmm. but i it's almost like he's he's taking the more uh the more emotional approach to like what religion is rather Mm -hmm. than thinking of it as a as a a force that affects the government and affects the people what people think yeah i feel like i feel like he Buttigieg is just this the face of this um like i don't know like group of of gay people who want to assim i mean this whole movement of like assimilating into heteronormative yeah, life or whatever yeah. and he's mm-hmm. like been the face of right exactly yeah. and he's like kind of whether he i mean he 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 just is the face of that and like we're just sure like he's fine right yeah, we're just right. like you sort of thing and like most of the lgbtq community is not like that yeah we just simply cannot be like most of America is yeah, not like that. Exactly. Right? So I don't know what it gets us if we choose a candidate who is sort of appealing to this this middle ground sort of well, like I don't know. It's almost like he's appealing to uh, those groups of Christians who are accepting of mm-hmm. LGBTQ mm-hmm. and also appealing to those who are clearly not. So yeah. and the Trump supporters yeah. and the Trump supporters who, who are sitting there and trying to figure out where their allegiances lie. Right. Because this guy in office right now is not uh pushing um he's not embodying the Christian uh morals that I was taught. I don't know about anybody else but in my church he is absolutely anti everything that mm-hmm. I was taught. Um, and for for them, there's a real identity crisis. You know, how do you support this guy mm-hmm. because you feel that however you feel about yeah. him um, and and square that with his performance over his entire life? Yeah. Well, I also think it's interesting that um, there's sort of an identity crisis. I mean, probably across the board with other religions, but in Christianity mm-hmm. of, well, you can have like gay priests for example but that like it doesn't there's just that uh they're trying to figure that out oh yeah Mm -hmm. which is it's weird that we're seeing that play out in the government through like the religious freedom it's almost like their politics is is taking place politically in the government well it has and so uh, other countries you know uh, european countries let's say who are more secular and and that's been established in the country as they are a secular country. The church has been churches have been fighting against that yeah. for years. Yeah. But it has more of a um a, an established history in some of these places where, you know, <laughs> they they look at the church and they're like, settle down, right? Here 
the church has uh, churches have imposed themselves upon the government. They have yes, yeah. put themselves out there and they're trying to influence public opinion, public policy. Yeah. And I mean, couldn't they do that another way? Like, isn't there another way to, to moralize your religious group without uh, imposing yourself on the government and causing essentially violence? Well, you can't. It, w- once it's codified, then you just have to sit back, right? Yeah. I mean, then it's your Christian nation. Y- yeah, and, exactly. And it's not. And I hate to, um, I hate to denigrate. I, I'm using Christianity as a, as a, a shorthand. Yeah. yeah. It's not mm-hmm. all Christianity. Yeah, right. exactly. And but unfortunately, that's like what we've come to identify with that sort of right political belief. But you know, we have we have these judges uh, who are making rulings. They've been placed there uh, by ideologues, and we have to deal with their. Uh, judgments. We have policymakers who are actively injecting uh, religious-based morals, or and here's the thing: supposedly religious-based morals. Supposedly, supposedly, right? Uh, conversion therapy, you know, that all of these make me so angry because. I want, show me where it talks about these things. About conversion therapy about in the Bible. About conversion therapy, about, <laughs> you know, bathroom rights. <laughs> yeah. Bathroom rights, yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody went outside in the olden days. Yeah. You know, when the Bible was written, you still squatted in a field. Like, there are rules about how far your squatty potty should be from where you bathe. Yeah, exactly. Um, and draw so- water for drinking mm-hmm. and cooking. This, these prescriptions <laughs> uh, that they're coming up with are based on tiny little snippets that are reinterpreted and reinterpreted, and and that's uh, and and we're saying, oh well, we have to respect just whatever these people say is their religious belief, yeah. deeply held religious belief that doesn't actually necessarily have a basis in reality, you know. And then where do we go from that? If your deeply held religious belief, according to some uh, uh, preachers and clerics and and whoever, is that queer people should be stoned. Yeah. Do we go there? Do we go that route? Do we just say, well, (sighs) it's my belief, you know, Um, and you're infringing upon it by telling me I can't do this. Now, discrimination is discrimination. LGBT folk are not protected explicitly under u.s law mm-hmm. we have no um special group uh, uh designation so we can't come forth and say you know this is discrimination against us based on something solid right but just in general as americans we know discrimination is bad right you shouldn't discriminate against christians for being christian or muslims for being muslim or are Hispanics for being Hispanic. These are all fundamental um, tenets of what America is supposed to be like. But the reality is we, we haven't really progressed uh, in our tribalism since the beginning. You know, we, we still have that as a fundamental part of our society. And we have to fight against that all yeah. the time. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And it's- I don't think it's just America, but it's playing out really um, strongly here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because we do have the, I feel like we have the tools to, to, to change. And maybe I'm being a little idealistic, but we have the tools. Be- I know this because um, religious groups are, and people uh, everywhere are abusing those tools to, right. uh, exactly. So like these tools are there. I just feel like there's no real, uh, nobody knows how to access them. But mm. I don't know. That's more of a political, governmental sort of discussion. I feel like I'm getting well, off the and that's point. being dismantled too. Yeah, you know. So they're taking agencies and they're gutting them. Um, they're putting the the Justice Department's putting pressures a pressure on the uh, EEOC, the Equal uh, Employment Opportunity uh, uh, Commission, to say that oh yeah yeah uh, Title Seven doesn't cover trans folk or LGBT folk at all, you know. And they're espousing uh, uh, all these religiously based exemptions for people to discriminate against people in healthcare, and you know, segue into uh, Texas on Monday, uh, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, so on Tuesday, a, a judge in Texas struck down uh, a Obamacare transgender protection, and it's not really just transgender protection for transgender folk right it's this affects all lgbt folk Mm -hmm. and um so when you when you hear this you know it says oh this is transgender whatever because that's kind of a trans folk are kind of a a a focus point now right but really it affects all of our community Mm -hmm. and um by striking down this judge reed o'connor of the northern district of texas vacated an Obama-era regulation that prohibited insurers and provided and providers who received federal money from denying treatment or coverage to anyone based on sex, gender identity, or termination of pregnancy. So, yeah. Wow. That's, right. That's, that's, that's fine print. And don't, yeah, broad. And don't forget that last part either. Termination, termination of pregnancy. Right. And, <laughs> but, I mean, based on sex. Yeah gender identity or termination Mm -hmm. of pregnancy so just being a woman Mm -hmm. or even a man you know going to let alone like non-binary or any of the yeah yeah i won't deal with you because you have a sex Mm -hmm. you have a gender identity wow or you have uh terminated like is this misunderstanding of like the basic concepts of gender identity and and sex or it or what it's it just that's so asinine i mean it boils down to sexism yeah and they simply just don't under they don't want to understand they don't they don't want to hear it right and this is performance of of gender this is you know if you are not a straight male that you're not performing your gender exactly right so (sighs) or even if you're just a straight male which uh that sounds stupid but like that that basically says you can discriminate against anyone Anybody. based yeah. on any Anybody. any uh, anything that. Yeah, my question is how <laughs> the heck is this helping anyone? Yeah, like, how can you argue that this is helping anyone? It helps you advance a ideology where you yes. believe that right. certain people shouldn't be in your society because you believe that those people aren't intrinsically themselves, mm-hmm. right? They yes. don't believe in the humanity and the uh, reality of trans folk. 
They believe that uh, homosexuality, even people who who uh, believe that it is something that you can't change about yourself, just inborn, will still say, "Well, you can just not practice it mm-hmm. because that's that's because it's a wrong. sin." So, because, well, is this along with everything else? Yeah, is this 1930? Are we? Yeah, what in the world? Yeah, we're we're rocketing backward, and I, it's you know, wild, folks, listening out there in Radio Land. Um, it sounds like I'm being, we're being awfully negative and, and possibly alarmist. But the truth is, this is going to affect us all. Mm -hmm. And this has affected us all. I mean, it's just Texas. Well, no, no, it's a federal judge struck down. It's not Texas. It's not just for Texas. This is a federal deal. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so when you vacate this, you also create precedent. And you're going, so how does this affect everybody else? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, because now this guy's done this. And this might lead to uh, uh, taking it up to the, right. taking it up to the Supreme Court again. Mm-hmm. And so how does, how is that going to change things? Yeah. It's, it's, and the Supreme Court arguments, the Supreme Court yeah. arguments about, now they want to they want to focus on or they want to hear more about uh bathroom cases you know this they're focusing on issues that they can use to promote this ideology that is right. going to destroy the lives of so what do we do so what what, what is, do we do what do we yeah. do and and that's <laughs> and I'm, I'm making a plug for the community center we have to come together mm-hmm. and we have to do things more than just march and we have to really fight for our rights mm-hmm. you know to party and otherwise we have to fight for our basic human rights right. we have to go to our senators mm-hmm. we have to go to all of our elected officials we have to become the elected officials yeah yeah that's absolutely really, yeah that's that's exactly what i'm thinking too yeah there's too many of these people who believe this this horrible stuff in political office we gotta or just like get not, them out replace them i mean and this is such a clear like example right yeah because it's written so perversely mm-hmm. that it uh like it leaves up open so many holes like the the it allows them to basically discriminate uh, or uh what were the i don't know what the word was but to to not give service to mm-hmm. anyone based on any of these and everybody has a gender everyone mm-hmm. has a sex right so it's just it's white supremacy it, right. it is um well it's, it's patriarchy it's patriarchy yeah. it's, it's, it's patriarchy it's um it, it's just messed up because it's just messed i don't know i'm being extremely like alarmist but well, no i mean this alarming. is literally like bringing back the aryan agenda or it's whatever it's really crazy heck, because you know? like we don't need to uh police people in in bathrooms like the, right it's it's weird. It's it, not a problem. There's it like was a made up. And it, it was, was a made up problem exactly. And if you it's do the research, problem. you don't even have to research too deeply. They made the bathroom issue up. And mm-hmm. We were here. We saw it when it was happening. You know, this was something that popped up. Somebody was saying, "Well, what about this?" And the whataboutism became something that people began to fear as an actuality. Right. And oh my God, all of these people are coming into your bathrooms and they're doing. This is exactly the same thing they did in the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. You know, this is exact or before, and 
in denying people their rights. Mm-hmm. It's what their go-to is for denying rights to human beings, whatever group is on their radar. And it's about domination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about dominion. It's about keeping people, specific people, in those places mm-hmm. who are already in them, which is why a, a man wouldn't have a problem going to the doctor and getting getting this, those services yeah. because that that literally what we just read is implying that there is a a uh, an accepted uh way of going about it that yeah. is based on the person which it, it's just i mean women ha- uh, women like literally straight white men, women even have a hard enough time getting doctors to listen to them in right. the first place and it, you know it's even worse if you're black i just we we in one of my classes we were talking about how serena williams famous tennis mm-hmm. player almost died in childbirth because she was telling the doctors that something was wrong she felt like something was wrong and they would not listen to her right. and she almost died yeah, and she and, didn't, but she could have. African American women, yeah, in particular, have a much higher, higher rate of yeah. rate of of, of in, death and uh, childbirth, death and childbirth, and infant mortality, yeah. and all of these health metrics. They're lower mm-hmm. than other groups in America. Why? And it's because of it's this. because of this, and this this kind of legislation only makes it easier for them for mm-hmm. people to the the people in power to keep their power by. Destroying the lives of anyone who right. attempts to just, yeah. step up. It's time to act. So we need to come together. We need to work together to create new solutions, mm-hmm. right, to this. We, I, I, I love Bloomington for how some people turn out for some things. You know, um, we have peace rallies and we have, you know, marches and uh, people hold up signs. But that is to create awareness. Mm-hmm. The action has to come after exactly. that. Yeah. And that's kind of where we fall right down. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, uh, with <laughs> with a farmer's market, mm-hmm. with anything, we fall down. We put up we signs. We feel that that is enough. We get maybe sometimes, it depends on, on and this is, this is across America, we get uh, these placations and these, oh, well, we'll give you this inch. Yeah, you know, we'll give you, um, we'll give you, uh, marriage equality, but we're not going to give you equality, mm-hmm. and yeah. we're going to make that tenuous. So, <laughs> if the Supreme Court vacates uh, Obergefell, how do you say that? I don't know how to say the name, but if they vacate that, where are we? We're right back to nothing. We did twenty years of activism mm-hmm. for something that we don't have an actual law uh to say yeah. that we are that was that was a an interpretation mm-hmm. yeah but we need we need some written it needs to be enshrined we yeah. need the equal rights amendment right? exactly and and we need it now and why hasn't it been passed in all of these years that's what 50 years yeah that it's been rolling around why hasn't it come up or come to to fruition i mean there is no reason other than uh people want to maintain power over others yeah well and i just you know the government seems like a thing that uh does its own thing and this is me speaking as like a young american i guess um 
but it seems like the government takes care of itself but like people really need to stand up and pay attention pay attention to it as hard as it is like when i first started like trying to understand the government mm-hmm. it was an uphill battle mm-hmm. but i i really think it's it's over exaggerated um how complicated it, it is to an extent like you, you people should try to hold offices um and there there really isn't like you don't really need experience you just need to we need to like reclaim what yeah. structure of government that we have mm-hmm. right I, I think there's a misconception that that you need to you know have all this training and go to school and stuff for this but it, it, the most important thing is to just try just get elected you know just run just like just run just, just run just like which sounds so absurd um, but it's true there's so many people that get, get elected that have no experience whatsoever and it's right. because they have a good message and they know they, well, the they want they got elected didn't have experience right, right? Exactly. you don't get experience until you're there right and then you gain it uh-huh. and yeah yeah mitch mcconnell's been in he's ugh, i can't even i mean but he's been there 33 years right um term limits are a very important thing too we need to make sure that there's a turnover mm-hmm. he is uh one of the the worst people in the government right now as mm-hmm. far as like letting any kind of progress happen on anything and um uh we need to turn that over we need to get people in who are yeah. uh really aligned more with uh a more open idea of america mm-hmm. not yeah. straight you know white mm-hmm. and uh we need and male frankly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah really so it's everybody yeah. i just think i don't know we need more than anything uh, to defragment our communities mm-hmm. and defragment the culture right defragment defrag i really mean oh it my I, God. I used to watch computer defrag all the time yeah that's what i, I was thinking of that because all those pieces are out there yeah they just they, they need to come together We're not, people have given up they've their yeah government doesn't I think, yeah reflect us so they've given up on government. I really and I, I really relate to that. We still are affected by them every day. Well, so it's just like you... the, the outrage is um, coming from my privilege as a white man. It, my my outrage is is one of the the main reasons that's causing caused me to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've re- recently, you know, why why give up? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> they haven't given up on us, right? Yeah, they, exactly. They, exactly. they no don't have endless. They seem to have endless energy. So we got to match that same energy right yeah and you know get out there and register and vote and i need a drink uh yep. right now yeah. we, we should so take a break. Of pop let's of, it's we'll take a break <laughs> soda down here um i don't i won't drink on the air <laughs> yes yeah let's take not, a community minutes me. break and when we come back we have a brand new episode of just married um so we'll come right back with that and then we have an interview with the couple um, that we'll play after that, that we pre-recorded um, this Monday. So we'll see you after the break. If not now, tell me when. If not now. Welcome to Just Married, stories about love and citizenship in the decade of marriage equality. I'm Jennifer Bass. This show tells the stories of same-sex couples in the heartland and their journeys into marriage. 
In this episode, Robert and Tom share the story of their collaborations in life, love, and performance. So I've been studying voice for three years, three plus years now, and we are performing on Wednesday nights at the back door in drag. And my little character is named Tipsy Teasdale, and his is called Tootsie Teasdale. And uh, we um, are called the Flaming Torches. We sing torch songs. And occasionally we do a duet. We did a a Roxy from Chicago, but we did it as Tipsy and Tootsie, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really fun. Rob and Tom have been together for 12 years. They live in Bloomington, Indiana, but they met... In Palm Springs at a mutual friend's house. And I don't think we've really been apart since then. No, I was traveling. um, I went out there for an event um, and decided to spend a little bit of extra time. And I'd known this friend forever. And it was interesting because right as I was walking in, evidently, he looked at Tom and said, I hadn't really thought about it, but you guys might really get along. (laughs) And we've been together. (laughs) It was 12 years ago. It was September 3rd, 05. In the first two days we met, we talked about everything. We talked about marriage. We talked about kids. We talked about our families. Um, and I think in that first weekend, we kind of knew that we were going to be together forever. Yeah, it came up in a conversation. One of us didn't kneel down and no, offer or anything no. like that. At all. We just like, I think, let's have a ceremony. Right. Because all we could do is a commitment ceremony at the time. So we didn't even think marriage. We just said, let's, let's have a commitment ceremony. Yeah. So we met September 3rd. And by mid-November, we had matching tattoos. So That was we... our engagement tattoos. <laughs> Instead of getting rings, we uh, got tattoos. So we basically, we talked about going to New York because New York had legalized it. And we're going to California, go to Canada, all these different places. And we thought we'd sort of make a trip out of it. And then we're like, oh, forget it. Let's just go the closest place we can go. So um, Dubuque, Iowa is where we wound up. And it worked out nicely because my brother um, and his partner, um, also a guy, uh, drove down from Wisconsin. So it was sort of in the middle, a middle meeting place. And they were our witnesses. And we actually took our minister, um, a great guy who was also at First United Church doing some ministering um, with us. And he married us. And we just found a, a historic place in Dubuque, Iowa. And we went up and overlooked the Mississippi River and got married um, right there. Rob and Tom wasted no time in getting legally married in one of the only states that would allow it at the time. But they still wanted to have a ceremony back home with all of their friends and family. So we had over 120 people um, that came from all over the place. Tom has danced all over the world with various partners, and most of his attendants were dance um, partners or or dance students that he had. So we, we each had nine attendants. Um, some of mine were fraternity brothers and people, my brother and sister, and um, we, it, it was just pretty amazing. And uh, Tom's mom and dad and stepdad walked him down the proverbial aisle. From this side of the house <laughs> up this way. And, and his family walked around the corner of the house that way. And my mom and dad and my maternal grandmother walked me down the aisle, so... Um, another thing we did, which was unusual, is that uh, we had our, our wedding rings and we sent them through yeah. the entire audience. And every, this is sort of a Quaker tradition and everybody sort of blessed in whatever way felt comfortable to them the wedding ring. And so by the time it got to us, actually everybody there had touched it and, and sort of put their it. energy on yeah, it and their nice. love and everything. Rob and Tom got married in 2006, but it would be several years before their marriage was recognized by the state of Indiana. So I was driving into Indianapolis and 
um, I had looked at my phone and started looking at my Facebook feed and stuff. And there's all these people congratulating me. Oh, your, your marriage is recognized in Indiana now. And congratulations. And people getting married on the courthouse lawn that day because they were afraid that Indiana was going to nullify it in a couple of days and all this. And I, I literally, um, so I, I kind of figured this out as I was driving in, but I'm sitting in a, at a bar having dinner late at night by myself and I'm just bawling. So there's this bearded dude sitting in a bar, full tears, just full face wet because I was like, there's no way that this little boy that grew up in a town of 530 people in Indiana ever imagined that he could have a husband. Um, and definitely, you know, that's, that was unimaginable, but even being able to have a partner period and, you know, keep it secret or something was what I was like the, the edge of my fantasies that that might be able to happen. Um, but to be able to be full blown married to, your husband that was I was and you know the waitress came over and gave me a shot and it's like are you okay and she's like let's celebrate let's, you know it's a happy thing and I was like, it was it was tears of joy but it was just it was crazy and overwhelming as Indiana finally caught up to Rob and Tom they were already thinking about what would come next in their relationship Rob wanted kids but Tom wasn't so sure well I never really had a plan for children in my mind at all um, Rob always wanted children so um, I thought, well, let's kind of dabble our feet. So through my 34th birthday, this is how it started. Um, Tom's like, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, mm, I want us to be foster parents. And he's like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> I thought I'll give it a try. I think our third placement was or the child that we adopted. Um, and by then, I, I don't know. I, I can know how, much, how important it is to Rob. So I'm kind of I'm searching for parental <laughs> desire in myself to sort of help be good with the fact that we have an adopted child. And he yeah. does a lot of the parenting. Yeah, and, but actually uh, when we went through with the adoption and everything, you know, we really felt like this particular kid fit with, the, in, with our family. Yeah. Um, his baggage seemed to be a lot less. So in the state of Indiana, in the public system, you have to be foster parents before you can be adopted parents. And so he lived with us for a year and a half or so. And we, you know, privately said, well, do we want to think about adopting him? And so we had said, yes, we do. And so at the dinner table one night, we just said, hey, you know, do you think you might want to be adopted someday? Teenagers have the choice of whether they want to be adopted at all or not. And he said, yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool. And then I'm like, okay, this is a teenager. You have to be more specific. So I said, do you think you might want to be adopted by us someday? And he's like, yeah, that, I think that'd be great. And, you know, grandma was sitting here at the table. We were just having a family dinner. And, and it sort of was like a family decision to do the adoption as opposed to like us deciding to adopt and, and saying, we're going to adopt you. You don't have a choice. Um, they really do have a choice. Nothing about Rob and Tom's relationship has been traditional, but that's just the way they like it. I almost think that, that we're more committed and that we have something stronger because I think that, I think that we had to work at it harder, right? Um, heterosexual people, they're expected to get married, they're expected to have kids, they're expected to have a job. I don't know, I, di I didn't have those ex expectations for myself because I didn't think I would be able to get married. And I think that we had to sort of work harder at convincing people that that it was okay and even convincing ourselves that it was okay. Yeah, I feel like the the fight to become uh, able to have the right to marry somebody makes us value it incredibly. It's so new 
we have, it's a new toy sort of, or it's a new experience that we've struggled really hard to earn. And uh, I, just don't think, I think there's a little more value to it for that. I don't think we're ready to just throw things away. I would say the name on everybody's lips is gonna be Tipsy. The lady raking in the chips is gonna be Tootsie. I'm gonna be a celebrity that means somebody everyone knows. They're gonna like my something. <laughs> I don't know, it's been too long, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> Support for Just Married comes from the Indiana University's Department of Gender Studies, the Office for Vice President for Research New Frontiers Program, and the IU Bloomington Arts and Humanities Council. WFHB's Blooming Out is our podcast host. Thanks to Ireland Meacham and to Carrie Newcomer and the Blue Note Sessions for musical selections. Listen to Just Married podcasts on wfhb.org slash just dash married or find us on Facebook at Marriage Equality Heartland. It not now, it not now, tell me when. It not now, it not now, tell me when. All right, welcome Robert and Tom Pinkslater to the studio. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. Uh, thank you. Yeah, um, so that was a great piece to work on. I really liked it. I liked it. Um, it was fun to listen to. You guys have a great story. Um, but the interview that was recorded happened like three years ago, I think, right? So mm-hmm. so what's changed since then? What's new? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so let's see. So my grandma has since passed away and uh, my mother-in-law lives with us now. So okay. we're still continuing the tradition of having a non-traditional family all under one roof. Mm-hmm. So that's something We've, that's new. We've uh, built onto our house and uh, we now run an Airbnb. Oh, on the, cool. uh, it's a multifamily dwelling. And so the other side of the house that's not being used anymore, we um, run an Airbnb and it's been very successful and very fun. Great. Yeah, because that's something uh, we didn't hear in the in the podcast, but in the interview, you guys talked about building a deck for your wedding, mm-hmm. which I thought was really yeah, cool. Yeah, 1,500-square-foot deck yeah. <laughs> with a friend of ours, yeah, <laughs> who shamed us out of bed with a hammer on the wood at about 7 every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, And Tom now teaches and works out of our home, too. So part of the, the build was so that he – so someone, one of us, would be home all the time um, with Grandma and my mother-in-law, Patty, and so it just made sense for Tom to work out of his home since I work mm-hmm. at IU and can't really be home. Mm-hmm. So in the new build, we have a salon, a little hair salon area for me, as well as a big open ballroom that I can teach in. Oh, nice. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. So are you guys still performing at the back door or anywhere? I perform on the, on the Wednesday of Halloween. Is that the 30th? I think it's the 30th. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be in that Halloween show, and I'm looking forward to it, because I've been working with Cardinal Stage quite a bit in the last – I've done three shows in a row with them, mm-hmm. and um, so I haven't had many opportunities to find free time mm-hmm. to uh, to go out and perform, so I'm excited to do it. Cool. And I haven't technically been full on Tootsie Teasdale for over a year. Yeah. This is Robert speaking now, but um, I have – emceed a whole lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, I emceed the Lumiere Ball and Tipsy, my counterpart, uh, made a, an appearance there. She was fabulous. She was a model. That's Tom. Yeah, a half Tom hour Tipsy. set, if you can believe that. Yeah, that was her Scary. first time singing by herself 
for like more than a three-minute number. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! It was amazing. And then Tipsy turned around and also did a performance at Spencer Pride, which was even longer. It was an hour. Oh, yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I was it there. Was fabulous. Actually. Cool. So I've been doing more of emceeing around town, and I kind <laughs> of turn on a little bit of Tootsie for that. Um, I, I also emceed the Coryland Men's Chorus Cabaret and Cabernet last March. So six-inch heels, a little bit of glam. And a beard. And a beard. So <laughs> I'm actually smooth today. Yeah, the radio audience can't see, but I'm actually smooth shaven today. So now I should be Tootsie Teasdale. <laughs> it doesn't ever work out that way. So what have been some of your favorite performances that you've done as Tipsy? Um, I just did a, a show, um, Saturday, um, it was called the Wayward Buns show. It was about the, um, this TV series called Supernatural and you had to somehow tune into that. And I did, mm-hmm. uh, I did a Rowena McLeod, um, song and then I turned around and became a creature and did a creep. And oh, it's an acoustic cool. version of creep that was really, <laughs> really fun to do, but scary. It's such a vulnerable, soft little song. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it it's, um... It's a little scary. And I've continued my voice lessons. It's now six years and working with two coaches. One who's a opera, a local opera singer named uh, Scott Hogshead. And uh, Michael Grubb is still working with me as well, the other teacher. Cool. And we're looking forward. Uh, we, there's an international music festival. Uh, Tom rejoined the men's chorus that I've been a part of for a long time. And so we get to sing together. We actually sing the same part. Um, as men, typically, as as Robert and Tom. But our oh, yeah. director reached out to Tom and said, hey, I really want you to do this number on our winter concert uh, in December, and I want you to sing How the Grinch Stole Christmas, but as Tipsy Teasdale. <laughs> so <laughs> Tipsy will be making an, an appearance with the men's chorus, which I think is fabulous. Yeah. And then, who knows, maybe at this International Music Festival next July, maybe Tipsy will get to make an appearance. Yeah, there there's, a, there's a little show at the opening of it called the Stiletto um, something, Stiletto... Showcase, and I've, I've I'm waiting to be able to get an application to see if I can perform in that. It'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Maybe Tootsie will make an appearance. There. Yeah. We'll <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so one of the stories that I uh, didn't include in the podcast, but I thought was really interesting, was that you guys actually had three marriages. So the third one was we talked about the one in Iowa and the one with your family, um, and then there was a third one here in Bloomington. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it was actually pretty fantastic. We we found out a year or two after they started, uh, Bloomington Pride were doing these flash mob weddings. And it was part of their Pride Film Festival, which mm-hmm. happens in January. And the local mayor and local clergy would be up on stage and some – uh, the very first time they did it was a true flash mob. They had a couple of sort of ringer couples in the audience who they knew were going to come up, but they invited anybody from the audience who wanted to get married as a couple to come up and the, they they had sort of a faux wedding, but it was full on, you know, justice of the peace, clergy, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And so we participated in that in the third year and it was, it was really special. It, it started out uh, with the men's chorus again. I keep talking about the men's chorus, but the men's (laughs) chorus was singing. Tom came out and did a solo number uh, with us dancing. And then he pulled me out of the chorus and we did a a duet dance number together. And then we ended up staying on stage for the flash mob wedding part of that too. So that was our our third and final wedding. This was at the Buskirk Jumley for the Pride Film Festival. It was great. I don't remember when, but probably 2015. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so since you were uh, married three times before it was technically legal and recognized by um, 
or federally. Um, so what was the process once it became legal of of getting legally married? Did you have to do anything with paperwork? I'm just kind of curious as to how that process works. Yeah, for sure. We had to have new social security cards um, issued and um, we hyphenated our name. So it's Pink Slater. Uh, it was officially Pink Slater. And um, what else was there about it? it? What was really interesting too is that there was sort of this panic among same-sex couples in Indiana because when the federal government finally recognized it, the state government of Indiana had to catch up mm-hmm. um, because they weren't recognizing it and now they had to. And so most of the same-sex couples in Indiana received these huge tax bills from the state of Indiana because they were retroactively looking at tax statements and the computer was generating these tax bills based on the fact that we were married when in fact when we all filed, we had to do it singly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a federal – we had a federal – uh filing and then we had to do take that federal filing but break it apart into two individual state filings because the state of indiana didn't recognize it it was quite the shit show sorry (laughs) Um, so when the state of indiana finally had to nothing reconciled Mm -hmm. in their computers the computer was going this does not compute yeah and they so a whole bunch of couples received these tax bills for like forty five thousand dollars all this kind of stuff because it was adding on penalties and all that and the state pretty quickly sent out a statement saying, no, this isn't correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to owe any money. We just have to get our computers to catch up with, with what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Kind of scary. Like, yeah. It sounds like a lot of hoops you have to jump through. Yeah. Um, so um, we always ask just married guests this. Um, so when you got married for the first time, did things feel different for you like immediately? Like some people talk about there's that feeling that um, things just change no matter if you've been together for years and years and years or if you've just um, – if you weren't together for that long before you got married, kind of like you guys. Um, was there – what changed? What was the biggest part of your life that changed? Honestly, I don't really – for me personally, I don't feel like anything changed. It was – I already felt married mm-hmm. before we – I mean three days after we met, I felt married. So yeah, it didn't change really for me. And for me, it was interesting. Um, so to put it in perspective, so we got married in 2006 with 120 people or so, and that's what we considered our wedding. And then in 2012 or 13, um, we were legally wed in Dubuque, Iowa, but it didn't mean anything. And then somewhere in there, we also had the faux wedding at Buskirk Chumley. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that very first wedding in 2006, um, what changed was that you weren't only telling your partner that you wanted to be with them, but you're telling all these other people too. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it created this immediate support system of friends and family that you could go and talk to and say, you know, Tom and I are, we're thinking about doing this and they understand, they understand that you're going to be together forever. And so they're able to talk about things with you in a different way than maybe they might talk to you if you're just talking about a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I will. I will say that having my parents uh, all be there and my sister attend, um, who was a Pentecostal and is still a Pentecostal uh, in uh, Rhode Island, um, was I have to say that was that acknowledgement, and it did feel I did feel a lot of uh, joy for feeling like my whole family was on board and behind it. Yeah, that's amazing. That's kind of the ideal situation. In fact, there was a we were doing most everything ourselves because we just were sort of wired that way and all of our attendants were helping us prepare prepare for the wedding. And at one point my sister just grabbed us both by the arm and said, Go take a shower and put your suits on. It's an hour (laughs) away. (laughs) So we both like took a breath and went, 
Oh, so it's really <laughs> cool of my sister to sort of be watching out for us. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I'm just curious, what are some of the best things and maybe some of the worst things about being gay and married in the Midwest even today? Uh, one of the things I feel is happens all the time when we'll walk down the street and Rob will take my hand and I'll let him hold it for a couple of seconds and then I'll let go mm-hmm. because, you know, a bashing is not out of the realm of possibility right. um, just for being who you are, um, even though it's not very likely in Bloomington. But there are a lot of college kids that come from all over the world and other states to um, – to attend college and they, you know, they may have been raised differently or, and may act differently. So I don't know. That's it for me. I think it's, it's very interesting. When Tom first came to Bloomington, we could not go out anywhere without me knowing somebody because mm-hmm. I've lived in Bloomington since 1989 and he moved here in, in 2006. So it, it sort of drove him a little crazy that you know, everywhere we went, yeah. somebody around knew us all the time. And now we walk into places and because he's involved in Cardinal Stage and with Spencer Pride and, you know, events all over Bloomington, um, people know him sometimes and mm-hmm. they don't know me. And I think that's <laughs> one of the... A revenge there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the nice things about the Midwest is that it's sort of this, um, I'm going to age myself, this Cheers mentality, the Cheers TV show mm-hmm. where you walk in and everybody knows your name. <laughs> It's kind of nice to go places and and have people to chat with or just be recognized or, you know, be able to give someone a hug. And so that's what I like about the Midwest and and the small town atmosphere. And Bloomington is a small town with sort of this big culture. And so it's nice to be able to to go to lots of different events and be able to eat out at at lots of different ethnically different Mm -hmm. foods and things like that. So those are. Yeah. Now that I've settled in here, it doesn't seem unlike a big city. It's just that it's a wonderful small town Mm -hmm. that has a big city feel in the terms of cultural things and mindsets. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's great, too. I definitely get that feeling of not being able to go anywhere without someone. (laughs) I've lived here my whole life. so Uh, Exactly. Um, Yeah. So is is there anything you'd like to add um, at all? (laughs) Um, hmm. No. All right. We're happy and we're healthy. We're happy. We're uh, we're going strong. Actually, one thing that that has happened since the last time, um, since the interview was taken, is that we have come out again. Because Tom has been oh, HIV yeah. positive for Since 39 years, 39 mm-hmm. years, yeah. and we co- sort of kept that to ourselves. I knew he told me within the first 20 minutes of us meeting mm-hmm. that he was HIV positive, and we kept that to ourselves for a long time. And we just came out with about it less than a year ago uh, because we think it's important to help end the stigma of H- being HIV positive, to help educate people. Uh, Tom is using Tipsy as one of the avenues which he talks about it, and I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and mm-hmm. sort of a spokes spokes queen, they're calling it for uh, a positive link. Um, yeah, and we've done a few little events together. Um, so, so we raised money good. during the AIDS Walk. Uh, we were the top two fundraisers for that, and we were very out about it in all of our Facebook posts and, and Twitter posts and all that, and helping mm-hmm. raise money that it doesn't just affect other people. We're not just walking for other people that mm-hmm. has affected us as well. Mm-hmm. And then we also did the Out of the Darkness Walk, um, where we raise uh, money for suicide awareness because that's very near and dear, unfortunately, to the LGBTQ plus community mm-hmm. as well. And so we just were hopefully using our personas and using the fact that we know lots of people in the community to raise money for these important causes. Mm-hmm. And 
just sort of sharing the love, I guess. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and one more thing. Three more years of training has helped a little bit. So I'm going to give you just a little Because <laughs> I did not yeah, like what I heard in the interview. <laughs> and I'm not warmed up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> now you say you're lonely. You cry the whole night through. Well, you can cry me a river, cry me a river. I cried a river over you. Tipsy's amazing. Yeah. Yes. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, was sort of a big meanie when he was dancing and stuff. His dan- his past dance partners would say, you know, he would just. Drive, I was hard on everybody driven, else, right? but yeah. I, I was being hard on myself in my mind, but they mm-hmm. didn't hear me doing that. Right. Yeah. And uh, she's all the things that as a child I stuffed down uh, because I was being shamed out of being who I truly am, which is on a, on a gender fluid scale somewhere, mm-hmm. although I've, I'd identify cisgen male. But um, I, there's so much of me that's female too, and I was just blocking all that out. And it takes a lot of effort to hold stuff like that yeah. back. And so I got short and sharp with people, so – yeah. So but, uh, Tipsy is really so way more comfortable in, as a human mm-hmm. and, and in crowds. I don't get panicky anymore. So, so it's been amazing. I'm actually I'm super surprised that we sang at during the original interview. <laughs> and um, Tom would never do this typically. Mm-hmm. But Tipsy has helped soften him out and made him balanced so me. It just balanced yeah. me. Yeah. So we should have really put that great. in there, but oh well. Um, well, congratulations on coming out. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And it was it was a pleasure to work on your episode. It was our episode. pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's fantastic that Bloomington does things like this. Yeah. And we can't wait to listen to it. Great project. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that was great. Thank you for bringing that to us. Of course. I had such a good time uh, interviewing that couple and, and putting together that episode. And, you know, it's, it's nice to have something uplifting to end on. So. Yeah. It looks like we're out of time. Thanks for a great show, everyone. And thanks to all the listeners out there and to all the volunteers at WFHB who make this show possible. Blooming Out is produced by Melanie Davis and Ireland Meacham. Blooming Out is a production of WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington, Indiana. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Ireland Meacham. And I'm Lucas Fisher. I'm Melanie Davis. And remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Good night from your Blooming Out family. You were just listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. To hear more episodes of the show, please visit www.wfhb.org and click Blooming Out under the Public Affairs tab. Blooming Out is produced by and for the LGBTIQA community. To inquire about the show or to book a guest interview or to just chat, please email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. <laughs>